Even after being in the monastery for over two decades, I can't help but notice that popular culture has an inexhaustible thirst for stories about a certain lanky, pipe-smoking violin player uh, and resident of 221B Baker Street, London, who wields formidable powers of observation and deduction. And I'm referring, of course, to Sherlock Holmes. Holmes not only notices things that Watson and even professional investigators miss, he knows how to interpret what he sees. He understands how to connect the evidence to a suspect and to motives. This is to say that he reads signs accurately. A sign is a sensory object that connects us to a spiritual reality, which is to say it connects us to meaning. So when Holmes examines cigar ash and identifies the brand, the range of possibility of meanings becomes smaller. Right? So an expensive cigar suggests a narrower set of possible smokers who would have left behind this particular ash. The placement of the ash in the uh, place of the crime allows Holmes to reconstruct the movement of the persons who were there, even though they're not literally present anymore. So it is with all signs. They connect us to a reality that's behind the physical reality itself. The original early Latin meaning of the word senium, from which we get sign, was that of a seal. So, for example, a wax design on a piece of paper is made by a distinctive but absent piece of cast metal. And when I see that wax on the, on the piece of paper, uh, I can see it's made by someone who's not here, but this authenticates that he or she put his or her mark on this piece of paper. It's authentic. So today we hear about the first of our Lord's signs to his disciples. The jugs that held the wine had previously been used for ceremonial washings, and thus they represent the old law, the Jewish law. And this law is completed and transformed by the miracle in which the water is changed into wine. So the spirit of the law, uh, what was the outward form of the law, is revealed uh, to have this spirit of abundance, of life, conviviality, overflowing excellence. It's the best wine. And what is being instituted here, what our Lord is revealing, is what we might call the sacramental order itself. So it's the gradual revelation of God's ultimate purposes in creation. Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection are the keys that unlock the cosmos as a profusion of symbols of God's love, signs of God's love. And as such, once we have this key, all peoples, not only those who have the law, but all peoples can see the Lord's glory revealed in everyday objects, revealed in nature, in, uh, in the church, in our food that we eat, etc. And we sang about this in this morning's introit and responsorial psalm. And what we see in the created order is something more glorious than we would have expected before we had this revelation of the sacramental order. So just as the excellent wine is saved in today's gospel until the end, God's unmerited grace overflows the expectations that we have for life, expectations that are limited by our mortal state and, to be fair, stunted by our sinfulness. 
So, uh, after this revelation, all of God's creatures become signs of his love if we know how to read them with the eyes of faith, the eyes of the Spirit. Now, having said all that nice theology there, there's one sticking point I want to address in this homily. And uh, it's possible that some of you, maybe many of us here, are already feeling something in ourselves. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they all say. Sacramental order, signs, etc., etc. Discomfort, a little doubt maybe. Maybe what I'm saying sounds a little far-fetched or pious or overly determined by religious lingo. So let's first recall that grace builds on nature. We do, as human beings, have a natural affinity for symbols. That's why we can use words to communicate with each other. All words are symbols. As you listen to me, you hear the sounds I'm making, and you interpret the sounds I'm making as words and sentences and so on because we share these symbols together as English speakers. Um, but here's the difficulty we're running into today. And it's, it's not completely a new problem, but it's getting worse, I think, in a lot of ways. So 50 years ago, uh, the great English Catholic sociologist Mary Douglas made an observation, which is a little bit uncomfortable. She noted a widespread disregard of symbols that was going on in Western culture in the 60s and 70s. And uh, she asked this question, what societal changes were causing the failure of young and old people to embrace symbols that we hadn't questioned for, for centuries in some cases. And her answer is at once obvious but also subtle. So since at least the time of the Reformation, Westerners have been adopting economic and political systems, the goal of which was to free the individual from predetermined roles. Now there's some good aspect to this. Uh, all worldly systems, as long as we're in this world, the fallen world, all worldly systems will produce winners and losers. And often enough, the losers never have a chance to get going because their predetermined place in the system offers no chance for advancement. So such is the typical lot of slaves, for example. But it's also the case that this affects the greatly impoverished, so some social mobility and the ability to change one's place in the worldly system is not a bad thing. Let's just start with that. But the question is, to what purpose? At what point do we come up with the perfect system where no one has to move around anymore? If I just said that all worldly systems are going to produce injustice, uh, we're never going to get there. And then social mobili mobility just becomes a goal in and of itself. I need more and more freedom. I need more and more options. I can't ever let my options be closed off. I never stop looking for new ideas, new ways to uh, express my individual understanding of myself. More and more freedom from social constraint. And if this is the case, according to Mary Douglas, we're going to lose our ability to read symbols if we do this too much. This is because we're going to become more and more alienated from the system in which the symbol finds its meaning. We're going to be alienated from the persons with, which we, with whom we share the symbols. So pushed to an extreme, extreme, we're not going to agree on the meaning of the most fundamental symbols, words. And we see this today. So Mary Douglas died nearly 12 years ago, but she wouldn't have been surprised, I don't think, that we're arguing about pronouns, the meaning of pronouns. We're arguing about fake news. And even presidents feel free to qualify what they mean by is. You know, fundamental words. We don't agree on them. 
But if this is so, then we're going to lose our ability to read God's signs, too. And this is the danger. Uh, and this was one of Mary Douglas' concerns as a Catholic. And we monks find this to be the case. It's one of the challenges of forming new men entering the monastery, that we use lots and lots of symbols. I mean, you can just look around and see all the symbols, uh, everything I'm wearing here, for example. But newcomers, and even some of us old-timers, can be completely blind to the fact that these are symbols and that they are telling us something about what's going on, about what God is communicating to us right now. Uh, We can be blind to the fact that signs are being used at all. And I'd like to say we've become a church of Watsons, you know, without any Sherlocks to notice the signs and interpret them for us. So what can we do? The answer, as in all things having to do with life in Christ, begins with faith. But by this, I don't mean that we should only take the church's meaning of symbols on blind faith, though that's not a bad thing to do. Rather, the faith that I have in mind has something more to do with the second reading today. It's a willingness to make a gift of myself to God, to trust that God will reveal the meaning of the scriptures and the book of the cosmos, if... I accept gratefully my particular membership in the body of Christ. So St. Paul lists all these gifts of the Spirit, all these different ways in which each of us contributes to the building up of the body of Christ. And so for me to accept what God has chosen for me, uh, I can then live out my particular gift in the church. And if I'm willing to receive from God my role, if it's as a monk or a lay person or an oblate, rather than use social mobility to choose a role for myself, uh, then these problems will start to melt away. So just as all worldly systems produce winners and losers, we should remember the kingdom of God is not of this world. And that kingdom into which we are baptized does not have winners and losers. We're all winners in that social system, let's say. The world has been overcome by Christ's faith, so it is safe and even liberating to accept the role that God has chosen for me. It is by this acceptance of things as God has created them and revealed them that my eyes will gradually be open to the meaning of the sacramental system of the cosmos. And we will grow in this way by our efforts to encourage one another and receive encouragement and perhaps, at times, correction from our fellow Catholics. We'll be able to read the multi-form signs unlocked by the abundant gift of grace, not by the sharp eye of a Sherlock Holmes, but with the obedience of faith.